But we realised we were only taught about the wars that we won. <laughs> wow. You wait, so back this up. In the UK, I mean the world you were not told world... about not much. the I'm... civil war of when we broke ties from <laughs> not really. you. Not really. It wasn't a very crucial part of our curriculum. And so when I came over to America and moved to it, I thought, wow, it's a big day, isn't it? Fourth of July, it's a big day. And I was going around to all my friends going, happy treason day. <laughs> Come and stay a while amid the British charm that is called my brain. I'm a journalist and pastor in California, but don't hold that against me. I wasn't brainwashed. I chose to leave my atheism on my own accord, consequently after two sips of Kool-Aid. But that's for another time. These opinions are my own, most of the time. The humour was learned of a book I found in a hedge, and the dreamer in me, well, she's here to stay. So, you're very welcome. Friends, Romans, countrymen, welcome to another podcast with Carrie Lloyd and my friend, Tanasha LeRae. <laughs> it feels like it's been so long. Oh, it has been so. It's been three years. It has been three years. And I actually listened to our podcast we did on racial reconciliation three years ago. And in the last few weeks, not much has changed, obviously. Sadly. <laughs> I listened to the podcast as well and I realised... I changed. Like, there's so Did much you? growth from that podcast. Has anything in that podcast changed in, in regards to your opinion? Oh, my to gosh. what you know now? I would say I have more actionable items for people and uh, oh, wow. probably a more, like, a deeper resolve um, and a little bit more of a passion and bite in that direction as yeah. well. I, I found myself... Uh, very much more circular in my conversation points back then. And I'm like, now some of this stuff needs to just be hit dead on the nail. Just dead on the nail. It's time. Yeah. And also, it's did time. you notice how incredibly naive I was? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this isn't the Carrie I know that I just talked to last no. week. So, yeah, Carrie has so, grown. I'm kind of embarrassed. Oh, yeah, that, I, it was that, that one, one, that one. Oh, what did I uh, say? At the very beginning when you were like, <laughs> you quoted the number of deaths. Oh, I know. The police the shootings. And I was like, why did that trigger me then? It probably did. And I didn't have a rebuttal. Didn't... I didn't have anything to say because I was I still growing in the conversation myself. And I think I was kind of just, I, I didn't even, I didn't know whether it was necessary something I believed in. It was a thing that was being quoted over that time. Mm-hmm. And so I desperately, and I've always trusted your perception, your understanding, your wisdom on this matter. And it's because not only have you done a huge amount of research on this entire thing. This is inbred in your entire DNA, racial reconciliation, what you've had to face, what the, the all of the things that your mother and father trained you in, in to mm-hmm. understand and to learn, and to not just get one perspective, but to get all of the perspectives so you could mm-hmm. actually come to the table with, hey, I hear all of your voices, mm-hmm. but this is actually the way that we actually build prosperity and how we actually find freedom. And so... I, I would say, listen to that. I'm like, oh, I, oh, 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 <laughs> how do we delete this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know. But it's clunky. I actually love that it's there because yeah. it, it's a timestamp that people can evolve, yeah. you know, yeah. like, especially in a day where there's cancel culture and there's this digging up sometimes even of almost like people's tweets from eight years ago and 12 years ago, a quote they made when they were 21 years old and like, you know, they're being ostracized for it. I mean, I love, I love, I'm an educator at heart. So I'm just like, learn from moments, you know, like don't cut yourself off. And so don't delete the podcast. I mean, we can go back and listen to it another three years from now. Maybe it will be some sort of comfort. (laughs) 
for those that are like, I'm too scared of doing anything wrong. Oh, it's all right, sweetheart. I've got all of it wrong. Uh, and it's on a podcast three years ago. And, <laughs> and, and I'm not going to get it right. I think that's also like um, a, a, a misconception is that black people are experts on racism. Totally. No, what we are experts on is pain. Yeah, that's true. So I got my story on lock and I can tell you how racism has like done me yeah. in in some moments. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to be an expert on all the, the multiple facets yeah. of how it's been so woven into the country, into the systems, mm-hmm. into the economy, into mm-hmm. uh, our implicit biases, into how we think, into how we look at our country, how it's taught us in the history books. I can't break down every single specific thing and then go, here's the exact plan on how we're going to unwind all of this for the country. Like, especially when I I know when the George Floyd situation happened recently, everyone was, and rightfully so, I thought that was very beautiful, that people were just like, check in on your black friends. But then it started to shift as people started to get like a hunger Mm. to go after real racial justice in a way that I don't think I've seen this nation ever really hit. Mm. Like even looking at Dr. King's day, he had to fight for so much, even after showcasing, even after Emmett Till's death was showcased in, in um, 1955, uh, that was August of 1955, young boy brutally murdered after whistling at a white woman born in Chicago, or raised in Chicago, but went down to Mississippi um, for the summer. And 14 years old and was brutally murdered. Well, his mom said, I want the world to see what they did to my boy. And what they had done was they had shot him and they had uh, mutilated his body and tied his body to to a fan, an industrial fan with barbed wire and threw his body in the Tallahatchie River. And three days later, it surfaced. They try to do a very quick state burial without the mom's permission. She gets there in time. She's like, no, I'm taking my son back to Chicago and I'm burying him. When she gets there to see his body and how mutilated it was, they almost weren't even able to recognize him had it not been for a ring on his Mm. finger. and she wailed and wept. And she also had photographers there from Jet Magazine. And she said, I want the world to see what they mm. did to my boy. It ended up being on the cover of Jet Magazine. She had an open casket funeral. Thousands came from afar just to view his body. And they were able to see the actual effects of Jim Crow. And it awakened the conscience of America. It is coined mm. as one of the moments, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the moments that that triggered the civil rights movement because just months later was the Rosa Parks situation in December of 1955. And it just, it it started to invigorate people's spirit to a place of taking action. But at that time, it wasn't on a mass scale as we're seeing. Like what we saw after the George Floyd situation, which I feel like on a spiritual level, it was almost like another Emmett Till moment. We witnessed this boy's, excuse me, this man's death. uh, And it was like the world got to see Mm. what they did to him. Yeah. Much like what Mamie Till, she said, I want the world to see what they did to my boy. We're looking mm. at this and everyone is just like, ah, this is so wrong. I want mm. to fix this. And the mm. first thing that people were doing is reaching out to black people. Yes, checking in on them, but then going, tell me everything about racism. Yeah. And it's like most of the black people were in so much pain. We could not turn around to be your abolitionists no, at I the mean, same time. I remember that week I'd called you and went, do you just want to cuddle? Yeah. And a glass of wine? Yeah. And I took that wine. Yeah, yeah. It was grand. It was oh. great. The conversation was awesome. My I soul know. felt fed. Just to have human connection and compassion yeah. in that moment. Yeah. I think the United States is a three on the Enneagram. Ooh, I think, <laughs> I think of a country I being think, a number. I mean, when I look at it, look, I mean, I'm a if three. That's the case, You're a three. The United but, Kingdom is an 11. <laughs> 
Is there one of the passive is there one? passive uh, stoicism man sweeping everything under the carpet? Because that's, that's oh the, man, that's, 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 that's the doing. that's the pattern, eh? <laughs> I, I, when I look here, we're such achievers. We're such we're so image driven. We're conquerors. We're always about being great. We're always is that about the American being dream. Pr- oh yeah, the American dream. But it, you know. On certain sides of it, it's mm. great, right? You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. What happens to threes when they go into stress? Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to look at that. Oh, just get over that. Oh, avoid conflict, you know, oh, goes to the comedy. nine, you know, yeah. type thing. But then also, if you're not careful, if you don't tenderize that place of being a three where you have to access your heart, mm-hmm. like the United States accessing its heart, like you run into the risk of of repeating the same thing things over and over again in the name of achievement and you only look at your trophies Mm. on the shelf to define who you are and you never look at your moments of connection Mm. to define who you are like your identity who you are who you're remembered by the where your memories are held in other people you know like Mm. I think about my great-grandmother her memories live on in in all of our family and that's who she was like she made incredible food but I can't remember any accolades she received from work you know like but I remember her cornbread you know (laughs) and I remember how she used to always say the s word when she got mad at us and I (laughs) I remember when she would tell me on the phone I'm praying for you and I made you an extra sweet potato pie that's hiding in the back when you come over for you know like I remember those moments these tender moments that that made her her Mm. that that's so seeped into the identity and in the United States, ah, oh, man, she's becoming great, but she's got to do kind of the work that I had to do. Yeah. I had to, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I yeah. had to go into the heart. I had to look at, like, I'm actually more than what I do. Yeah. So even looking at the past, looking at, looking at any mistakes that this country has made, if I truly believe that's not who I am, but I need to look there. Mm. I need to own that story yeah. so yeah. I can heal that story. That's if I don't right. own that story, I don't know that story. I can't heal that story. I have no authority over that story. Yeah. And, and I, I, on the podcast, uh, the, the first one, <laughs> the one that we're like, do it all over again, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on that first one, I, I released a prophetic word about this nation repenting for slavery in three years time from yeah. 2016 till now. Yeah. And it's so funny because 2019 came and the Lord told me, well, he told me back in 2016 that uh, a signpost of this nation repenting for slavery was going to be when we begin to change the narrative. Because a sign of repentance is that you, you've you changed your thinking. Right. And when we specifically begin to teach the stories to the children, the ones that we thought we needed to get over and stop talking about. But when we start teaching those stories to the children as, hey, this is who we used to be, but this is who we will never be again, Mm -hmm. that lets you know that you've shifted your thinking. And I've been looking at everything that's like happening right now, or even just looking at year 2019. It was a unique year. And there was this initiative that was started called 400 Years of Inequality. And they began curating ways for people to learn the story and Mm. to begin to look at pockets of the story that had been whitewashed, had been swept under the rug. Uh, I mean, even things were being triggered in me that I started to remember from when I was in middle school, looking at my history book, going to my mom and saying, Mom, this isn't what we learned when we went to Virginia last year. Why is this deleted? Wow. Why isn't this in the book? Why isn't why don't they talk about this? Right. And realizing that's my state sanctioned textbook. Wow. So there's a bit of outrage right now as a lot of white America is awakening to the story. And I'm like, yeah, that's a part of the injustice. Mm-hmm. The fact that we weren't told the story. We weren't educated. We weren't educated at all. Yeah. So now we're all like, I've been duped. What do you mean? And and there's cognitive dissonance. No. I, and you want to hold on to your version of this country that you so believe in. It's like hard to look at that portion. It's like when you find out your 
father is a rapist or something. Well, I didn't even know that we had the independent... I didn't really know what Independence Day was. July the 4th. I was... I remember having a conversation with another British pastor who works at this church, and um, we both went, were you ever... Have ever talked about Fourth of July or Independence Day? In America? Oh wow! Right, no, not really. And we both went to really good schools, but we realised we were only taught about the wars that we won. Wow! <laughs> you wait. So back this up. In the UK, I mean, the world you were not told world... about not much the I'm... Civil War of when we broke ties <laughs> from you. Really. Not really. It wasn't a very crucial part of our curriculum. And so when I came over to America, moved to it, I thought, wow, it's a big day, isn't it? Fourth of July, it's a big day. <laughs> and I was going around to all my friends going, happy treason day. <laughs> Just to upset them. Right, right. You know, and to be pompous. But I, I, but it, it did make me go, oh, we really just love talking about the victory stories. Yeah. And we're, we really want to bury the shameful stories very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I wonder, is that on purpose or is that just a natural tendency to want to cower away because none of us are very good at dealing with pain? Come on. It's the human condition. That's why yeah. I think the United States is a three. Okay. Because I know from my own personal experience, mm. when the pain stuff comes up, I'm like, uh-uh, get to something that I'm good at. Get busy. Right? Yeah. Like, that, I, that I'm good at, that I can feel anchored in, that I yeah. can feel secure in, especially if I haven't been given the tools yeah. for healing. And we forget that the United States is actually a very young country. Yes. Probably, I mean, if you were to compare it to other countries, you know, probably in the 20s, like early yeah. 20s, you know. Yeah. And what did you do in your early 20s? Yeah, you know, yeah, like totally. the things that we didn't have as tools, the confidence that we didn't have, mm. trying to figure out life, but very arrogant, thinking that we do know it all. Yeah. Um, I would say America's kind of there. Uh, we just need the guidance. I think it's, I think it's really beautiful to see, too, how God has so stamped our our generation with people that have tools like that, like yeah. the Brene Browns, just yeah. in this season, the Brene Browns exist. Right. In this season, the Caroline Leafs exist yeah. to give us concrete tools on, on the science of repentance that yeah. in this day, even for the Black community, the Iyanla Vinzance exists. She's this yeah. incredible, I call what she brings is Black mama therapy. Uh, and there's some things, you know, I've, I've wow. gone through Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry and it's been wonderful, but I'm telling you, I've had some of the greatest breakthrough in this past, like these past eight months, watching Iyanla Vinzance on Iyanla Fix My Life on OWN Network, and as she is navigating the same things, but in a texture that I can receive, in a language yeah. that I understand, and with an emphasis that hits me at the core of my culture, like wow. my, my soul, I'm like, oh, that's what that means to not abandon myself. That's what that means to like stand up. That's what that means to be a woman. That's what that means, like getting mm. it from this Black Mama therapy, healing places within me that I didn't realize I wasn't operating in. And some of it is because I've been trying to find myself. I've been in a lot of majority white spaces. And and, yeah. and sometimes, I mean, I don't have models that look like me. And it's right. not to say that those models are bad. It's to say that, ah, sometimes, like, some people need something different, you know? Absolutely. And, and if we did have those tools, I wonder, I wonder how much more we'd be willing to lean in. Um, those tools are there. So now it's like, how are we going to use them? Yeah. You know, how are we going to... Um, even collectively grasp them and empower mm. um, the masses to grab hold of them. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's what Dr. King did in so many ways with yeah. finding ways to 
activate people unto unified action. He created language and systems for people to grasp hold of these six principles of nonviolence, yeah, you know, powerful. that that brought the grit into the spirit mm-hmm. of what you must hold on to that I mean, for the sake of redemption. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, what would it look like if we created something like that for the sake of healing, national healing. I'm so intrigued and I I don't claim to know a whole bunch about that right now because that's kind of what I'm journeying through to like look this up. I'm even looking into like, what does it look like on healing the land and places in scripture where God restored the ruins and and cities and 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 encounters that people had with God and with land and and there's something there in the sacredness mm. of the earth not new agey but like no. the sacredness the fact that we came from dirt that he mm. made us from the very elements that he made before us mm. so there's something in it that's like we're connected to it otherwise he wouldn't have used it well we're so disconnected with the earth oh my I gosh think on so many levels and you know gosh I've had lots of conversations with very sort of um our eco warrior type friends who are so surprised that Christians are so behind on that because essentially the rocks and the earth cry out to our Lord so I just it's so interesting that we are behind I thought it's a great point yes I, I, we should be a little bit more reverent towards the very elements yeah. that we came from one of the things and there's so many pockets that I want to cover so I'm I, I, I but yet I don't want to speed through things because I feel that everything you're sharing in this journey and everything you have been sharing the last few weeks has been so sacred. I feel you had arranged a, um, along with a couple of organizers, uh, to do what I thought was a very powerful march for justice in Redding, California. And for me, it was a very powerful one because it was silent. And you started it with almost an educationary piece where lots of people that had been impacted by whether it was white supremacy groups that had afflicted family members, relatives, friends, or even they've just witnessed it back in the day. Mm-hmm. I was so stunned at how many white supremacy groups there were around this area. Mm-hmm. And I've even gone around to that areas in times past and prayed over that area for there mm-hmm. to be some convictions and reconciliation. Break it, Jesus! <laughs> and also, just even thinking, you know, the journey that I'd be in studying nobility, of course, Dr. Martin Luther King was one of them. Mm-hmm. And, and I really did go through a journey of... You know, I loved his strength to love. I loved his sermon about um, the tough mind and the tender heart mm-hmm. and how prejudice comes in when we switch it. Mm-hmm. And we we toughen our hearts and we've tenderized our heads to be so easily persuaded. When I look at the news and I look at our re- responses, our reactions to things, and I go, wow, we haven't learned anything. Mm-hmm. And yet I sometimes see pockets, glimpses of hope, mm-hmm. glitters of hope mm-hmm. that I think, Maybe the next generation, hmm. in their utter desire to be impactful without any sense of perseverance <laughs> or patience mm-hmm. in the journey of that, <laughs> which they'll get, they'll learn. Had but to I, build that muscle. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I looked, I just looked at how all of the things that, that even just sitting there in the morning of the the organised march and working with the chief of the the city and all the elements that we were trying to do in order to respect the city, in order to respect the residents, in order to keep it as peaceful as possible. And then the gossip and then the crazy that was attached to it. Now it was becoming like this Bethel church organized (laughs) anti-BLM protest, which wasn't the case at all. But it's amazing in our own fear how then the lens changes, the perspectives change. And so with saying all of that, what have your thoughts been, honestly, in the last few let's say the last two months, 
Oh gosh, from you know. George Floyd onwards. Onwards, even our to sponsors, that march and the looting, everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think we are, you know, I talked about on the last podcast that we're in the midst of a shaking and mm. those were the beginning vibrations around that time. And now we're in the full blown earthquake. Yeah, like, that's about right. It's the full-blown earthquake. And I'm, you know, it's a very strange thing to say. I know a lot of people are afraid right now, but I have this, I mean, this deep peace that really? surpasses all understanding mm. because it feels like my spirit <clears throat> connected to eternity is saying it's finally happening. Mm. And and what is that it? I think that it is the awakening that is necessary for the repentance that is necessary, for the shifting that is necessary, for the healing that is necessary, for the justice movements that is necessary, for more healing that is necessary for the unity. Mm. Like, and we actually will be crowned with brotherhood. Yes. Because right now it's, you know, you have all this squabble and all this stuff and it's ugly. I mean, it's ugly out there. You have the most ugliest parts of people just splattering across every social media platform, every blog, every, you know, news outlet, every everything. Like we have, we're the information age. So we have in, infinite amounts of, of outlets to be able to showcase our human flaws. Mm. Um, but at the same time, there's so much beautiful wheat that's growing up with the tares, yeah. you know, and thinking about Jesus and his parables and, and, and how the wheat and the tares are to actually grow up together. You know, and mm. and we as believers need to be focused on harvest. And, and if I'm focused on harvest, that means that I've got to go to the soil and be ready to water that soil. Yes. Be ready to put fertilizer down on that soil. Guess yeah. what? That means some of the tears are going to probably grow yeah. from me watering. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, and the Lord's like, don't worry. Let it all grow. Mm. Let it all grow up. And then when the time comes, we will reap that harvest and we will burn away that chaff. That's good. And but that takes incredible amounts of focus on the presence. It mm. takes incredible amounts of like nonviolence internally mm. that your heart would be in a constant state of choosing people, knowing that we're we're gonna all be on the winning side if we just hang on because the winning side is the kingdom. Mm. Not Democrats, not Republicans, but the kingdom, yeah. you know? Um and I look at everything that's happening, you know, even just to make it more specific, Black Lives Matter movement has yeah. become such a polarized organization, just bringing that organization right. up. So there's a lot of things in there that that even I don't actually agree with in my faith. Uh, but then when I look at it and I go, how about we look at the fact that the Lord even holds the kings of society, the influencers of society in his hands and turns their heart to and fro uses them like the Cyrus that he may want to use them right. as. And, 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 and sometimes it may look like wheat to you, but there are elements that are, or excuse me, sometimes it may look like tears to you, but there are elements of it that are actually wheat. Yeah. You know, the fact that Black Lives Matter movement has to exist today. And I believe even looking at the Black Lives Matter movement that they exist because the church hasn't been on her post. Right. Because these things are eternal things that we get to actually have the authority to bring into earth as ambassadors of his kingdom. And when we don't, the Lord raises up a standard, <laughs> you know, because here comes the enemy trying yeah. to do what he's going to do to get the Lord off of his or, or to try to thwart the Lord's will. But whenever the enemy comes in like a flood, 
God will raise up a standard against him. Right. And sometimes if we're not the ones that are going to be that standard raised up against what the enemy is doing, he's still going to raise up a standard. Yeah. He's still going to get his will done. Yeah, um, that's good. And it's, it's, it's a part for us to be sobered as the church, to repent, mm. you know, where we've been making this more about politics and liberties and freedom, you know, freedom in, in, in that we feel like it's actually being threatened. Uh, when in essence, it's, it's being activated on a completely beautiful level. Because what is freedom in the kingdom? Freedom to lay it all down. Mm. Freedom to die mm. so that you can live. Yeah. When you lose, you gain. Mm-hmm. Like not freedom to hoard, to hold on to what is yours, to, you know, yeah. like to, to, to claim. In the kingdom, it's not ours. It's like, it's actually his. We're managers of anything that, yeah. that we're given. And when I keep my mindset and my perspective there, then I just continuously go to the king of kings that I'm an ambassador of his kingdom coming in and with his contract signed with his name. And I'm just like, I'm representing this. Mm-hmm. In a kingdom, we don't even have opinions. I mean, like, you know better than me because you're raised in a kingdom, oh, you know? Gosh, and yeah. and I'm like, I, we're so used to our democratic rights and our democratic republic process here that I think sometimes we superimpose it over the kingdom of God. Absolutely. And there's moments like right now where he's going, no, I'm actually going to do something different and it's going to cost you because I need the first to be last and the last to be first. Yeah. But with if we think first will be last, last be first, and we have a scarcity mindset, oh my gosh, no, you're coming to take away from me and I've got to hold on. And he's like, wait, 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 when did you pick it up? Yeah. I, I thought you died to self. Yeah. And that's the part where we're, we've got to be challenged in this because the Lord is raising up the black bride right now who's been so beaten down, so abused, so left out, so not treated like a brother. Mm-hmm. And what does Jesus do or what does the excuse me, the father do even in the story of the prodigal son? And we're not necessarily the the you know, every analogy breaks in at some point. But we're not necessarily the, the son that sinned and came back, but we are the son that was out there. Right. And, and hasn't been received in family. And when the father brings in families, throwing a complete feast. And in that scenario, it was completely messy because his decisions landed him there. And if his decisions landed him there and he would still take off his own ring, place it on his, son fing- his son's mm-hmm. finger, kill the best cattle to feed him with a feast, call all the neighbors to not stone him for his offense, but to actually join him in the feast. And then even correct the brother who's over here tripping. No, you need to be over here. Like how much more so than the the brother that was ostracized and beaten and that was pushed to the side. You know, like this 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 opportunity that's in front of us um is one that, you know, everyone's looking like, oh, we want small government though. And I'm like, well, then that means we gotta have big church. Yeah. That means that we've got to get big in our responses, our actions, our sacrifice. If we're going to be the ones that see what God's doing right now to bring restoration. And that means that we've got to lay it at the feet of the Father and say, give this to them. Mm-hmm. Love them with this. You know, mm-hmm. the way you do it with me, you're always calling me and saying, yeah. what can I do? What can yeah. I give? What can I, I'm not asking for that from yeah. you. No. But it's just, it's out of this compassion that you're moved to this well, beautiful I even, action. I even remember, you know, when you came into my life, it was when you were a student in second year and I was your pastor. And at that time, because now you're a very dear friend to me and, and I remember looking at her going, how can I build her to be bigger than me? That was a very important question and conversation I had with the Lord. And I remember we were going on our way to Los Angeles and I'd 
I'd asked for time with you alone in my car. So I drove us while the bus behind us of 46 other people, whatever it was, coming down <laughs> with us to Los Angeles. And I started speaking to the calling on your life in the sense of this is what you're destined to do. But the one thing that I'm going to challenge you in this year is to get way more vulnerable than you have been and to let, if you know how to vo vocalize what's going on in your heart, then you'll be able to see reconciliation happen all, all over the shop in front of you. Mm -hmm. And it was that same weekend that this huge split in the in a church that mm -hmm. we randomly had found mm -hmm. ourselves in someone's living room that night. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> random people from this, this huge split and very controversial split, they were all in the same place at the same time. And and I, it was the first time I ever saw you cry, was sitting mm -hmm. in the corner watching this insane reconciliation take place between mm -hmm. all of these church members mm -hmm. that hadn't spoken to each other for 17 years. Mm -hmm. And it was so, and I think I even remember going, listen, this is a powerful moment because Tanash is crying and Tanash never cries. <laughs> and now it's I remember like, that, yeah. It's, it marked me too. Yeah, and I did feel like that was, I, I, I digress on that one. That wasn't a racial thing, but it was a, a falling apart. It was a, a complete heartbreak on so many levels. And so in this journey, I knew whenever someone's grieving, whenever someone's mourning, that's not the time where I'm asking the, the mourner, talk to me about what happened, the journey of everything. Talk to me about your entire life history of how you got to this moment in time where you're crying this week about this particular case. Like, I knew it was just a case of comforting you. And if you want to talk about it, you can. Yeah. But um, you might have been pulled on left, right and centre this week. So if you'd just like some cheese and wine, then let's. But yeah. with that, um, the recognition all the time of having to go as low as I possibly can. And I get mm. very nervous when mm. I hear friends get very opinionated mm. about how we should and how we shouldn't do this, mm -hmm. how we should fight, how we shouldn't fight. Mm -hmm. Even the arguments over the autopsy of George Floyd and all of these things that I witness and I hear like all the way through my, my, my ears are constantly, it's this constant murmur and conversation, yeah. but I don't feel momentum on those conversations yeah. because I don't see what's being done. I get excited when I hear that there are more black students this year for Harvard 2021 in law school than there ever has been. Yeah. I get excited when I start to hear the prosperity of grants and tuition fees and the, the very things that have, that have, what Dr. Martin Luther King talked about, that well, they were never given a good start. Yeah. And and what does that look? How are we actually giving good starts? How are we, you know, my heart at the moment is in the foster care system. Yes. And actually taking care of these orphans. We've got 420,000 in America right now that are in the foster care system and 130,000 of those are legally waiting to be adopted because they cannot be reunified with their, with their parents if yeah. they have their parents there. Yeah. And so we can catch a lot of these issues, these numbers that are talking about incarceration in prisons. We can catch that upstream yeah. if only we open our front door. Yeah. And so practicals from you as to what, you know, a lot of a lot of my listeners will probably be probably not as naive as I was three years ago, <laughs> but equally intrigued to yeah. know what on earth do we do? You know, I'm, I'm going to always start off with and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, yeah. but. Yeah, anything different to the last one. <laughs> right. But feel free to echo. I'll, I'll, I will echo it because it, yeah. it always starts with this, like. Before you can be a leader in this, you have to be a learner in this. Like, you have to be. You, If you're going to try to fix anything, you know, like, if you're even just looking at 
putting something together inside your house and or something broke inside mm-hmm. your house and you go Googling to learn about it yeah. and how it was put together so that you can fix it. Like, yeah. uh, we need to learn how this country's been put together. Um, and when you find out those particular things, uh, you, I mean, like, it's, it's gruesome when you look at some of it and it's beautiful when you look at some of it because you learn a lot of what I believe this country's destined to be and, and the patterns of that in the story. But then you also learn a lot of the, the sin and, um, and, and the consequences of those sins you'll see in the patterns of today. Like yeah. those sins are still visiting the, the generations that have mm. come after those individuals that have committed those sins. Mm. And it's interwoven in, into our very systems and into our very framework. Mm. Um, and if we don't understand that, then we will be all fighting a war and we don't have the same enemy. Mm-hmm. We'll be all trying to hit a target, but we all have different targets. Some people think it's just racial bias. And I'm like, no, it's systemic. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think that it's just someone who has, you know, a few bad apples uh, and, and you don't actually realize that it's woven into how the society thinks, how the society is, is crafted and formed, um, how things happen. Like I'll even give a, a, a clear example um, I remember when I was in Oklahoma City and there was a school, I won't name the school, but there was, because um, I was an educator at the time, but there was this other school, it's kind of a rival school, the school that I used to teach at. And um, they were surveying the school, getting ready to build a whole new building for this this school. And this this student body, were they were very excited because they had a busted down building, you know, just antiquated materials and things like that. And it's always great when you see like a majority black school finally getting something that Mm -hmm. feels like excellence and quality and speaks to the value of just just them as humans. And they got closer to the time of opening the school. And then they send out all of these letters describing how they are naming that school the the name of their school, but they're Mm -hmm. renaming their old school a different name. And by the way, you have to go to your old school. They redrew the district lines and forced majority, so they end up becoming a, a very imbalanced population at that new school that was not majority wow. black. This is in my lifetime, in the past decade. Um, and, and so when I talk about like it's in the systems, people don't actually realize that black people always end up getting the shortest end of the stick that ends up playing into the constant educational disparities, the constant mental health disparities, the constant, and if you have those particular things, then you're gonna end up having poverty. So then there's poverty disparities. Where there's poverty, there's increased violence. Mm-hmm. Then you have all of this history of oppression. Trauma um, specialists and psychologists are coming out, being able to measure uh, the, the, the trauma that is race-based and being able to see that within the black communities, people have PTSD. So then a lot of people will ask, you know, well, what about black on black crime? And I'm like, the fact that you're saying black on black crime lets me know that you've been influenced by the systemic racism. Right. Because right. black on black crime is not a thing. That yeah. is a re- that's rhetoric that's used as propaganda uh, to deflect issues to say you guys just need to clean up your own community. But I'm looking for people that's going to own all the communities and say this Absolutely. is us. Yeah. This is our society. This is our America. And if you're hurting and this is an injustice to you, this is an injustice to me. And 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 to even begin asking why. So if you to go back to what I was saying about learning. Yeah. When you're learning the story to learn not what to think, but also how to think, mm-hmm. you know, like to look at your country, how and, and ask questions like why? OK, if I'm looking at this then, and I look at this in the black community, ask yourself, 
why is that happening in the black community? Not just that it's happening, mm-hmm. because when you look at why there is black on black crime, why there is so much violence in the black community, you're going to learn about the poverty. Then you're going to ask, why is there poverty? Then you're going to learn about the oppression. You're going to ask, well, why the oppression? Then you're going to go, oh, wait, you mean to tell me it actually didn't change from Dr. King's day? Mm. There are still, like, there was a, a, a woman that I, I did school with in BSSM, and she was actually, and she's younger than me, but in the state, uh, in her home state, her um, middle school, she was the first class to be bused to integrate into her middle school. As, and I'm like, what? honey, you're younger than me. Like, you know, my mom, she has that same story. Years, I mean, the, the Brown v. Board of Education, all of that stuff was passed in the 50s. And my mom was in middle school in the 70s and they were just integrating the schools and things like that. So there's been this, because integration didn't solve the problems. Integration doesn't always bring equality when when you still have a resistant people because in their hearts at that time, they didn't want it. And so now when you look at what we have now, it's like you have to remember where we're at now was built from the hearts of the people who didn't want it. Absolutely. So what's in it right now? Yeah. You know, we have to really look at that. Why why is it that we have such antiquated books in the black community and those schools over there have some of the state of the art technology and oh because of tax dollars. Oh, okay. So when you keep redrawing the district lines to keep these areas in impoverished zones, their tax dollars are lower and that's what supplies their schools. Wow. And it keeps everybody on a loop in the black community of staying disenfranchised, of, of staying as the other that's marginalized in the corner. Um, and Gosh. no one wants to look at that. And so we've got to look at it. And and then we've got to take ownership. You know, people are putting up petitions daily, I'm like sign those petitions, yeah. you know, take that simple action to do that. I've actually been enamored with the falling of the Confederate statues. It's a controversial topic. I already knew I probably triggered about 7,000 people. <laughs> uh, like, but it, it's like, it fascinates me because it, it directly connects back to the word the Lord showed me that this nation would begin to repent for slavery. And those statues literally represent the heroes that fought to keep slavery. So they are not heroes of the United States. As opposed to the William Wilberforces in England who Right, uh, and the Frederick Douglasses and the and the Harriet Tubmans uh, who we we squabbled yeah. over because we didn't want her on the twenty dollar bill. Right? Gosh. And and you're looking at these individuals and a lot of people are asking questions. Well, if you go that far, then you're who how far is it gonna go? I'm like, just at least let it go there. That's all I'm asking. Just to the because, slavery part. Just because why do you want it? And people go, Oh, this is heritage. I go describe it to me. It's a heritage of what? what? And when you begin to break it, oh, it didn't represent that. Mm, That's revisionist history. However, when people tell the truth, we are actually the ones that are accused of revisionist history. When you look at a lot of those statues, many of them popped up in the 20s and in the 70s underneath incredible amounts of, of propaganda and agendas to try to reinsert these old Southern uh, ways of thinking at times where there were critical points in race that were happening in, in the nation. And so it's like that actually didn't birth out of people wanting their heritage. It birthed out of a place of people wanting to completely combat 
the, the moves of freedom and equality that were happening. And in the spirit realm, it's that the enemy trying to come at righteousness and say, no, I'm going to remember or I'm going to bring up elements that remind you of, of the ideology I want to stay in this land. Mm. And, and these monuments, the thing is, they're not statues that are in like museums or like I, my parents took us to... Um, uh, where the Battle of Gettysburg happened. Mm. And there's a lot of statues there. There are Union statues, there are Confederate statues. But when you go there, you know you're about to have an educational experience. And so these statues exist to educate you, to get a picture of what they looked like, felt like, what they, you know, just the, the landscape of this battle that happened and the people and, and all of that. And it's it's pretty moving when you go because, I mean, like you can just see this open expanse and your imagination goes crazy with what happened there. Um, and, and, and the fact that I don't ever want to be in a war, you know, like goodness gracious, the, the, but then when you are just walking down, you know, your public square to go to Starbucks and there's Robert E. Lee, (laughs) I'm like, is that a statue or is that a monument? And when we erect monuments, why do we erect them? Because they symbolize who we want to be like, what we want to emulate, the values we want to uphold in our country. They communicate symbols to us that we are, that we revere, that we celebrate, that we want to hold dear to us and teach our children to hold dear to. Why are those monuments up in our country? Why are we immortalizing them? Why? Yeah. yeah. Because there's something gripped, but the Lord's like, nope, break it. Mm. Break it. And I think about, you know, like all the activations that we do in BSSM where we like, you know, get these these um, pumpkins or whatever. And and we write our lies and our sins and our past on them and we get bats and we just break them and bust them open and let it shatter. That's a day in the life of BSSM. BSSM. Yep. (laughs) Busting open pumpkins. You know, (laughs) right. But people actually get real, real breakthrough. And I'm not saying now I want to make sure that people hear me like I'm not condoning vandalism and I'm not saying that uh, like that's the way to do it. Uh, However, I am saying they need to come down. Very symbolic. And and not all of them are coming down through vandalism. A lot of them are coming down because the the states, the mayors, the governors are repenting and saying those need to come down. We hear your voice. We hear your cry. And we see how that just walking past that on a daily basis actually provokes pain in you. Like, why would we want that if we are choosing brotherhood? If we're choosing brotherhood and that actually causes pain to my brother because it communicates that he's not valuable or he's right. not as valuable That's right. in this country. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that can't stay. That cannot stay. Um, and that cannot be the, the foundation of the value system that we want to have. And that's the beautiful thing about repentance. I love Caroline Lee for this because she breaks mm. it down and gives us that hope. Mm. 80% of the brain is regenerative. So you don't have to be stuck in your Powerful. past. You don't have to be stuck in your past. Your brain can regenerate. The United States needs a cleansing so that her brain can regenerate. Thank you so much for listening to the Carry On podcast. I've so loved your messages. If you're new to this, um, then I'm on Instagram at Carrie Gracie. And you're welcome to DM me there. I do read my own messages. We do have a little team that helped me out with it as well. And we have a Facebook page that is called Carrie Lloyd funnily enough so uh, if there's anything you want me to talk about if there's anything you wish to get in touch with us about uh, then you can also go on to www.carrieloyd.live that's my um, main website where you can contact us through there Um, always a pleasure never a chore darling